1: In America, well, if there's one commonality that the kids in America seems to enjoy or share, it's uh, that they all really seem to like screens—television screens, Television scene screens, computer screens—but especially the smartphone. Um, when it's you know when it's nice out, I have a two-year-old, and when it's nice out, I try to bring him outside as much as possible. And we're very blessed to have a block that has a lot of children on it. Most of the children, most of the boys on our block are. A, a bit older than him uh, there's a four-year-old across the street a six-year-old up the street there's a, a nine-year-old there's a, even a 10-year-old there's a 12-year-old all within within spitting distance of our house and it's great but i would be perpetually perplexed during the summer how sometimes these boys would be outside and they would be outside with their tablet. Playing some sort of a game, either with each other or just separately, sitting next to one another, sitting outside. Sometimes on a very nice day, and they're sitting outside with their tablet. And my son, being maybe you know a year and a half, almost two years old at the time, would walk over to their tablets and he'd be curious about the colors and the screens. And I would call him over. I said, "No, no, 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 no. Leave, leave that, uh, leave that s- screen alone. Leave that tablet alone." And then one of these boys' mother would say, oh, no, that's okay. He doesn't mind sharing. I said, no, no, I really don't want my son to become a screen addict. I've often wondered uh, when my son wants to watch Daniel Tiger or Sesame Street and just letting him watch 15 minutes of television would give me an incredible break in terms of actually being able to prepare for this show or get something a chore that I need done for the house Am I hindering him by letting him watch 15 minutes of television at two years old. Somebody uh, that has spent a great deal of time thinking about these issues and writing about them is uh, Catherine Johnson Martinko. She's a writer with a decade of experience in digital news publishing. She's been an editor of a lot of publications that you have heard of over the years. And she's also the author of a book that everybody is talking about. It's called Childhood Unplugged, Practical Advice to Get Kids Off Screen and Find Balance. Catherine, thanks for joining me on the radio. Hi, Frank. Thanks so much for having me. So let's begin with, before we can discuss how to get children off of screens, uh, let's talk about what's wrong with screens. What's the big deal if uh, a child is on their mobile phone or on their uh, tablet a great deal?
0: Yes, Well, that scene that you just described of a summer day with kids sitting on their devices looking at them instead of at the world around them is all too common pretty much everywhere across the country these days and my big issue with screens is that it is displacing opportunities for other really important growth opportunities for these kids. So, the latest studies are showing that teens especially are spending upwards of nine hours a day on screens, which to me indicates that they're just missing out on a whole lot of other really important life experiences. So, we know that screens are getting in the way of kids being physically active, it's getting in the way of them getting enough sleep at night and staying focused on their schoolwork and even paying attention in class if they're taking it into their schoolrooms as they often are. It's inhibiting their ability to, you know, develop facial recognition cues, there's even studies showing that babies are failing to develop um, smile reflexes because they're not getting enough face-to-face contact with their own parents. So really these screens, as entertaining and alluring as they may be, are um, interrupting a lot of really important opportunities for growth and learning that kids need these
1: days. Well, that's all really interesting. I mean, are there ever instances where you think it's okay for a television screen? I know of a lot of couples, for instance, with young children that uh, on the rare occasions where they get to go out to dinner and they bring their child with them in order to avoid having the child uh, throw things and be very loud and boisterous, they'll let them watch or or play a game on a, a tablet. Is that okay in your book?
0: In a restaurant, no. I would say I, it always breaks my heart when I see these families out for dinner and the two parents, you know, are often absorbed on their own phones and then the poor kid is staring at a tablet as well and nobody is talking and nobody's interacting. And, you know, that kid um, could be engaging with its parents and, you know, looking around the restaurant and really absorbing the whole experience in a really formative kind of way, but instead everyone's locked in their own little isolated bubble staring at their device. So... I don't know. I think that screens should really be reserved for very, very rare special occasions when a parent is in desperate need of some backup, you know, on a you know rainy, snowy day, if the kid is sick, if you absolutely need a break. But um, generally, I think that these screens are eroding um, childhood for a lot of children, you know, and um, we know that that children need to play and they need to interact with other adults and other children in order to, you know, develop optimally. So in a way, childhood is rehearsal for adulthood, and screens are, are definitely getting in the way of
1: that. Well, one thing I will ask is if there's any exception in, in your guidance for – parents of autistic children or children that are on the autism spectrum. Uh, There's more and more of them. Statistics show that. And I was out, I was at a a party, which, you know, kind of a dinner party last night. And one, there was a young woman there. She was, she was an adult, but in many ways she was kind of like a child. And she was there with her mother and her mother basically had her play with her phone for a bit. So as not to, you know, talk to or what she thought bother the other diners. Do you think there's any difference when it comes to autistic children?
0: So that is an interesting question, and I have not done extensive research into that area. However, what is very interesting, I know, is that a lot of children who are, um, you know, differently wired, let's say, can struggle immensely with screen habits because they are more prone to feeling hyper-stimulated from the device. So I spoke with parents of some autistic children who found that keeping their kids off to places was, in fact, um, preferable, really. So these kids were—they really struggled with being able to handle the stimulation from the screen. So, yeah, I—I I don't know. The one mother that I interviewed for my book, she had two children um, with autism, and she found that once she went a screen-free route, it was uh, much easier to handle in their household. Interesting. Of course, every family is going to be different. Um, I can't speak too generally there, but um, yeah, that was that. Tended to be the finding that I came up with.
1: If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Catherine Johnson Martinko. She's the uh, author of the book Childhood Unplugged: Practical Advice to Get Kids Off of Off Screen and Find Balance. We're we'll to get to some of that practical advice in a moment. Catherine, do you make any distinction in terms of the type of screen we're talking about? Is uh, a television screen just as bad as a mobile phone? Is a computer screen just as bad as a tablet? In your view?
0: I would say that the more portable a device and the more accessible it is, the more prone that user is to be to check it constantly. And that is a problem in my eyes. So when a kid has a phone in their pocket or a tablet in their hands, they can access anywhere they are at any point in the day. Uh, It's going to be really, really hard to resist the allure of that device. And we know that these devices are designed, um, you know, to to draw us in, to be highly addictive, um, that's how they're, the, the app designers have, have meant them to be. So, a TV is um, better by comparison because it's a stationary object that stays in one place. So you can leave the room and, and you know or that child knows that they can't just you know, be watching it at any second of the day. So, um, no, I would say that they're not all created equal in that case. A computer too, um, again, it's, it's in one location so it doesn't suck them in quite as much um, but You know, the problem with all of our devices these days is that they're often designed to autoplay. And so children, even Mm -hmm. if they're watching Netflix, have a lot of trouble um, stepping away from that device even when one show has ended because the next one is about to begin. And I've talked to some experts who recommend Um, You know, even going back to old fashioned, you know, DVDs, which or and getting her to watch a movie instead of a show necessarily, because there's a natural beginning and a Mm -hmm. natural end. And it helps the child's brain to comprehend that the time to watch a screen is now over and they have
1: to go do something else. Interesting. I I like that a lot. Um, All right. um, There's obviously, I think, from a very young age. A lot of peer pressure on children's to to keep up with the Joneses to have mm-hmm. a a smartphone I, I think I think up until the age of eight I, I see people young people with these smartphones in your view, what is an appropriate age for a child to have a mobile phone
0: so that's a good question and it's obviously quite complex. I would say that uh, a child up until their teen years, does not need a phone, um, and then the question is: when that phone is introduced, what is it being used for? So the problem with smartphones is that the assumption is they come with um, apps, and they're going to come with social media, and that's where my real issue is with um, social media. We know to be a recipe for disaster for the mental well-being of teenagers. They're just not neurologically developed or emotionally mature enough to handle social media, and you know all the casual, messy cruelty of the online world that comes along with it. So I would say it's one thing to give your kid a phone in order to reach you especially if you live in a place where you need to be able to communicate with your child to set up, you know, drop-offs and pickups and other logistical challenges. But it's another if you're letting them use that device to, you know, be watching TikTok all the time, which, um, you know, can really mess with a kid's self-esteem and self-image and be posting, you know, videos on Instagram and texting friend groups incessantly. So really, I think it's about what you want that device to be used for. Some experts recommend that no kids should be on social media until the age of 16. 16. That makes Yeah, this goes against the recommendation um, by tech companies that 13 is the legally appropriate age. But just because something is legally appropriate, and that age was designated back in the 90s before social media even existed in the form that it does now, just because it's legal doesn't necessarily make it um, wise. So I would say don't give your kid any kind of phone until they are at least 13 or 14, and then keep them off social media until they're at least 16.
1: Interesting. Um, all right. Now, let's talk about some practical advice to ki- to get kids off screen. I haven't read uh, your book yet, but I'm, I'm hoping to. What can parents do or grandparents, if they're listening, if they have a child, maybe they have a tablet, maybe they have a smartphone already and they want to get that child off of the phone? What can they do?
0: Yes, that's the, uh, the important question. I would say delay, 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 as long as you possibly can. So if you have not yet given your child a phone, don't, or even a tablet. I often find that um, simply choosing not to buy these devices and not bring them into your home at all is the best place to start. Um, it's like any sort of addictive substance. If you can see it and if you want it, it's going to be a lot harder to resist. And um, we know that kids even seeing a device Um, can trigger a dopamine release in their brain and they want it really badly. And then when they can't have it, there's often a hormonally induced um, meltdown that can occur. And that's also what happens when you take a device away from a child. So I say spare yourself the grief and uh, just avoid it as long as you possibly can. Um, I would say if you do, you know, so babies and toddlers should have zero exposure. That's a recommendation by the American Academy of Pediatrics up until the age of, you know, 18 months. Even at two, it should only be quote unquote educational, but that is debatable because a lot of the educational apps are not really designed by experts who have Mm -hmm. any knowledge in that particular area. Um, I would just say fill your kid's life with other things. So you do have to fill the void that's left behind when screens are taken away. And when we're talking in the range of, you know, six to nine hours a day that these kids are used to spending on their devices, if you take those away, they will feel at odds, they'll feel at loose ends. So I would say you have a responsibility as a parent to, you know, help them to develop other interests. That's not something that comes naturally. You know, you do need to, you know, invest in some loose parts, which are toys to have around your house with open-ended purpose. You know, things for kids to build and to construct. Sort of think back to how people used to live. You know, how you grew up, the kinds of things that you spent your time doing, um, and that you love thinking about in retrospect. So that's really important. Um, I would say like-minded individuals who adhere to this same philosophy. So um, like you said, in that community that you live in with all these kids on their devices, hopefully you can find, you know, one or two other families who don't want to send their kids out with a tablet in their hands and, you know, find that person and talk to them about you wanting to do the same for your child and maybe plan to send your kid out at the same time so that they can play. Um, there's definitely a movement to develop let, um, sorry, play clubs by a foundation called let grow based in New York city that is wanting to give kids screen based um, sort of unstructured playtime in dense urban environments where it might not be uh, safe to let your kids just go out into the street and play um, or for people who don't have backyards or live in apartment buildings. So there's definitely um, You you do have to sort of replace it with play. As you get older, um, some teens who maybe want to be on social media at age 16 or whenever you deem it appropriate as a parent, one great recommendation is to let them have their profile and their account but only access it on a desktop computer at home. So don't let them have the apps on their phone so that they're not tempted to pull their phone out of their pocket and check it every second of the day. That way they have a designated time, maybe once a day, a couple times a week when they can log in, get updated, and not feel that they're completely out of the loop. So those are just a few suggestions off the top of my head. Obviously, I, I go a lot more in-depth in my book, uh, Childhood Unplugged, about each um, age category and what would be appropriate actions to take.
1: One of the things that, uh, obviously, when it's nice weather out, it's, it's pretty easy. You can go play outside. You can go to a swimming pool. You can go to a park. You can go to a playground. But as we're approaching the winter months and when it's frigid or if it's raining out, the outside options are are very limiting. Do you have any favorite non-screen activities that you recommend to make sure children don't get, uh, you know, addicted to their screen?
0: Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I would push back against that idea that non-summer weather is bad weather. Um, you know, I think that often inclement weather and more extreme temperatures can be really exciting for children. And often what we're doing as adults is sort of, Um, assuming that the emotions we feel about that weather also apply to our kids. So my kids love going out in, you know, the dead of winter. We live up in Ontario, Canada, and, you know, we live with lots of snow and ice. And in a way, those are natural building blocks for kids. Uh, Even a rainy day, you've got puddles to deal with. And, you know, in the fall, there's piles of leaves. And there's just so much for kids to do outside. So even if it doesn't look like a terribly exciting um, place to play in your eyes to a child, it might be a magical kingdom of opportunity, especially a younger kid. So don't overlook the weather. Just, just dress your kid properly. You can invest in some wonderful outdoor gear and get your kid out. Um, you can buy that stuff secondhand too so it's not too expensive, and I'm sure your kid will love it. When you're indoors, however, of course, there are times when, when you have to be inside. Um, yeah, so our house is full of books. You know, we spend tons and tons of time reading books. And I have inherited a lot of books from people. I buy them at library book sales and secondhand bookshops. And my kids now are accustomed to, you know, coming home from school and flopping down on the couch. And they all grab a Calvin and Hobbes, you know, comic Mm. book or, they, you know, get a novel. And I'll hear them just laughing their heads off in the other room and sharing their favorite comic strips and whatnot. So they love to do that. Um, They like to play board games. So we have an extensive collection of board games. We have an arts and crafts cabinet so the kids can do clay modeling or origami paper folding or painting or, you know, things like that whenever they want. They're also expected to help out around the house and they also have homework and they also take music lessons. So when you sort of factor in all of these other activities, they're really busy and I don't even know when we would find time for them to just, you know, waste time on a screen in the course of a a typical day. So you know, that's that's kind of a, a snapshot of what I think that you could spend your time doing when you're not
1: outside. Uh, Catherine, I love talking with you, and you got to come back. Uh, two final questions that I have to ask you. One sure. is, uh, you know, we have a lot of uh, listeners that are uh, observant Jews, and they refrain from any electronic devices one day a week. And uh, I try to do that not for any religious reasons, but uh, just on Saturday for myself. I, I find I'm surrounded by screens so much of the week, it's nice to give my brain... A little bit of a break. Did your research uh, or are you aware of any research that looked into families of uh, religious backgrounds that uh, abstain from uh, television and electronic devices for one day a week?
0: Oh, that's a fascinating question. Um, Well, obviously, Tiffany Schlain is the author of 24 Six The Power of Unplugging One Day a Week, a book that was immensely successful just a few years ago when it came out. And she's Jewish, and she and her family practice uh, Tech Shabbat, which obviously is um, a 24 hour period of not being on any devices as a family. And I think the real power there is that um, you are. you're you're modeling as a parent, and I think that that's the most effective parenting tool that we have. We know that. Um, And so when everyone can be offline together, um, just as as parents and children together, you are really imparting a great message to your kid. Um, I, I saw a lot of families doing that who were not necessarily religious. Uh, So I would say it's not limited to that at all, but I think it's a wonderful uh, model on which all of us can draw, no matter what background we come from.
1: (laughs) Lastly, on your Substack, which uh, I'll recommend, people can just search Catherine Martinko and Substack, and it comes right up. You had a very interesting piece on uh, the art of family dinner. Um, What's so big, what's such a big deal about family dinner? I think most of people grew up with a a family dinner. They recognize that you, you, you eat some food. Why is that so important?
0: It is so important because families these days are busy. You know, we're all doing a million things. We've got both parents out working, we've got kids going to school and involved in a million extracurricular activities, all of which is great, but you need a point at which to come back together as a family and it creates this one touch point, this one opportunity each day to sit around a table, to share food that you've prepared, which obviously helps to ensure that everyone's eating well, and to engage in conversation. and. You know, we don't allow any screens at our table, of course. My kids don't have phones. Um, No TV is on, um, you know, and, and everyone's just focused on each other. And we often play word games where we go around the table asking each kid what the highlight was of their day or what they're grateful for or what they might be struggling with. And I've noticed over the years that my children and any guests we have just light up when this game starts. And I think that it's a rare opportunity for kids these days to really feel seen and heard Um, in a world that is moving at a very
1: quick pace. Uh, Catherine uh, Johnson Martinko, uh, her book is Childhood Unplugged. You can get it on Amazon or wherever books are available. Catherine, very much enjoyed the time uh, this morning. I hope we can chat again. Thanks so much, Frank. It was my pleasure. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you can give me a call, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222, straight ahead.